today we're going to be over in Acts 16. We finally get out of Acts 15 and go to Acts 16. But let me just kind of remind you where we're at and kind of what has been happening leading up to where we are in Acts chapter 16. Of course, we started reading a while back in Acts 13 where Paul and Silas, or not Paul and Silas, but Paul and Barnabas go out on their first missionary journey. And the church there at Antioch sends them out and they go and they share the gospel in many different places. And one of the primary areas is the region of Galatia. And that's where we get Galatians in our Bible, but they go and they share the gospel there. Many things happen, one of which is Paul is stoned to death and he is left for dead in the city of Lystra. And so God just miraculously heals him. He gets up and he walks back into the city. And then eventually they make it back to the church of Antioch, which sent them out. And so what they're doing pretty much in Acts chapter 14 is they're just recounting and sharing the stories of what happened and what God had done and what he had specifically done through them because that's how God works. He works through us on this earth. And Paul and Barnabas are telling the church about that. About that time when they're doing that and leading the church and discipling the church, a group of men come, and they're called Judaizers, and they basically come, they're false teachers, and they cause a stink in the church because they begin to say the only way you can truly be a follower of Jesus Christ is not only to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to follow the Old Testament law, and if you're not a Jew, you have to be circumcised. Basically, you have to become a Jew to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what they're teaching. And Paul and Barnabas, they argue with them, and they say this is not the case, not truth. And so they finally go back to Jerusalem, and they have kind of the first council from a church, umbrella, big church perspective. And the apostles and the leaders there in Jerusalem kind of hear the debate back and forth between Paul and Barnabas and then these men called Judaizers, and they finally come to a decision. And that decision, of course, thank God, is it is Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. You put your trust and you put your faith in Him. And so James, the leader of the church there, Jesus' half-brother, the one who wrote the book of James in your Bible, he writes the first epistle or the first letter back to the church of Antioch. And so Paul and Barnabas bring that letter back to Antioch. And the guys there in Jerusalem send some people back to Antioch to make sure. Paul and Barnabas aren't making this up. They didn't write the letter themselves. This truly comes from the church. And so Silas is one of the men who come back with them. At the end of Acts chapter 15, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas decide that they're going to go on their second missionary journey. And the way they're going to start that is they're going to go back to the churches they ministered to in the beginning. And so Barnabas says, "That's we're doing it. And he says, what I want to do is I want to bring a young man named John Mark along with us. And of course, you go back to Acts chapter 13. John Mark went with them on the first missionary journey, and he kind of bailed out. He got homesick, and he went home to his mom, basically, in Jerusalem. And so Paul is animate. We are not bringing John Mark. And Barnabas and Paul get in a fight kind of a knockdown, drag-out fight. Now, it's not probably physical, but it's with words, and the Bible describes it like a sword fight. And they're going back and forth. And eventually they split. And so Barnabas takes John Mark and he goes one way. Paul takes Silas and he goes the other way. And so now we're about to read about the second missionary journey. And what we're about to read is primarily about Paul and Silas. And the reason for that, you're going to see it in Acts chapter 16, is because the man who writes this book, we know Luke wrote the book of Acts, Luke is going to join them on their journey. 
So really, the rest of the book of Acts is not about John, Mark, and Barnabas, even though God is working through them and he is using them in a miraculous way. We just don't get to see it anymore. Now we're shifting focus, and we're going to start focusing on Paul and Silas, and you're about to meet another young man named Timothy. And so that's where we are in Acts chapter 16. And so what really I want you to focus on as we read what we're going to read, the portion of Scripture today, as I've been telling you this all through the book of Acts, the book of Acts should be titled... The Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that's what the book of Acts is. Now, I know some of your Bibles at the very beginning of Acts will say Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles ain't got jack to do with the book of Acts. I mean, they're in it, and we read about them. They don't do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit of God. This book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to see that specifically here in a very specific way that probably many of you have struggled with through your life And probably one of the questions I get as a pastor more than any other, well, John, how do I find God's will for my life? Have you ever asked that question or ever thought about that question or ever struggled with that question? Many people do. And so I'm going to show you, I believe, where it's not even the right question. Okay? And so let's look at Acts chapter 16. We'll look at some, and then we're going to talk about that as the Holy Spirit leads and the Holy Spirit guides. Okay, so look at verse 1 there. This is what the Bible says. It says, Paul went first to Derbe and then Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. Okay, now before we go any further, that's really important, I think. Okay, Paul went first to Derbe and Lystra. Now what happened to Paul in Derbe and Lystra, specifically Lystra? I told you earlier, but what happened to him? Okay, he was stoned and stoned to death. Okay, now, I don't know about you, but the first place I don't want to go is back to where somebody stoned me. Maybe you have a different mindset there, but that ain't going to be my first choice. So I'm pretty sure that it had to be the Holy Spirit of God leading them to Derby and to Lystra, or they weren't going there, Correct. Okay, I say correct. You don't have to say correct. That's correct. Okay, I don't think Paul's first inclination is, let's go back to the place I'm stoned. I want to go back there and see it again because it's so good with where I was there the first time. That ain't what he's thinking. So why are Paul and Silas now going back to that place where he is stoned? Well, a very important reason, because it is the will of God. And listen, this is not the specific will of God for Paul's life. This is the will of God. How do I know? Well, what does Jesus tell us to do just before he ascends into heaven? He says, go ye therefore and make converts of all nations, right? He tells us that. He doesn't tell us that. Does he tell us that? No. What does he say? Go ye therefore and make what? Disciples of all nations. Okay, now Paul had gone to Lystra and Derby before. And what did he do while he was there? He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what happened? People were converted, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But is that what Jesus said to do? No. He said, make disciples. Okay, so what has to happen for someone to become a disciple of Jesus? They have to follow him, right? They have to know what he says. They have to do what he says to do. So if Paul only goes there and he only shares Jesus with them and he only shares about conversion or salvation and never goes back there and never the 
letters get back there, or never anybody disciples those people, are they disciples of Jesus Christ? No, they're converts of Jesus, right? There's a big difference between a conversion and discipleship. Do you understand that? Now, I know our goal and our heart is for people to come to faith in Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that's the heart of God. Okay, but again, I tell you this. If you're just wanting Jesus Christ to be your Savior, is that what the Bible says that we are called to be and to do? No. Jesus is your Savior, but He's also what else? Your Lord. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Basically the boss of your life. He comes into your heart, and He's it. He is at home in your heart. We talked about that Sunday. Okay? Then you believe that God raised Him from the dead. You shall be saved. But lordship's a big part of salvation. And you cannot know anything about lordship unless you're discipled. You just can't. Correct? How else are you going to know? Is there another way to know? Now, today you can say, well, yeah, you can give them a Bible and they can know the Bible. Well, was that true in Paul's day? Okay, you could give them a copy of the Old Testament, but is the Old Testament going to lead them to Christ and lead them into following Jesus Christ? They can see prophecies about Jesus. They can see Old Testament law. But what did they just have a fight about in Acts chapter 15? Okay, are you obeying the Old Testament law or are you following Jesus Christ? That was the debate. That was the fight. And so it's about following. It's about going all in with Jesus. So I know this is the will for Paul and it's the will for all of us because we're all called to make disciples. And so he went back to Lystra and Derby to make disciples of those people he had just led to Christ. Does that make sense? Why do you think we plant churches all over the place when we want people to be saved? Because if there's not a church there, how are they going to be discipled? Okay, churches are pretty important. What's Paul doing everywhere he goes? Starting churches. I mean... When we get back to the rest of the New Testament, he's writing epistles, right? Who's he writing epistles back to? Churches. And what's he doing through those epistles? Discipling them. Okay, so I know discipleship is the will of God. So I know this is the will of God for Paul's life, even though he probably didn't like it because he didn't want to go back to the place he was stoned. But he did because it's the will of God, and the Holy Spirit, I believe, told him to do it. Okay, but while they're there, they meet a young disciple named Timothy. So that just means he's already a believer. Now, maybe he was saved when Paul was there the first time. We don't know when and how he became a believer, but we know he is a disciple of Jesus. He is a believer. Then it goes on to say his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Okay, so pretty simple there. His mom's a Jew. His dad's not. He's a Gentile. Okay, but the most important part is Timothy became a believer. Now, we know later on, when Paul writes back to Timothy, he talks about his spiritual heritage. And you know who he talks about? He talks about his mom, and he talks about his grandmom. He talks about both of them, Eunice and Lois. And he talks about Timothy, basically saying, Timothy, you had a foundation in the Scriptures. Now, again, what Scriptures is he talking about? Is he talking about the New Testament? Mm -mm. How do we know that? Because they're Jewish, right? Okay, they're Jewish. 
So Timothy was raised on the Old Testament, and he knows the Old Testament, and he has probably a lot of it memorized. He's a lot like the Apostle Paul. And so Paul, I think, sees himself in Timothy. And so probably at this point, we don't know for sure, but more than likely, Timothy's a teenager at this point. He's young. He's very young. Now, he's going to be very important in the next 50 years of the church, very important figure in the next 50 years of the church. But at this point, he is a young, very young believer. This is what it goes on to say there. It says, Timothy was well thought of by believers in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Now again, if this is true, which I'm pretty sure it is, that Timothy's a young man, probably in his teenage years, could have been in his early 20s, but probably more likely in his teenage years. And Paul's about to say, okay, Eunice, I want Timothy to go on this journey with me. Now, I want you to put yourself in Eunice's shoes for just a minute. What has she seen happen to Paul on the first missionary journey in her own town? Stone to death. And now he's asking, hey, can your son go with us? I think he'll be beneficial to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, put yourself in those shoes. Okay, let's modernize it a little bit. I mean, what if I came to you... And you had a teenage son, teenage daughter. And I said, I think they need to go to Iran because they'll be beneficial for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you going to say to me? Do what? You're going to say that, right? And I'm, okay, let me just share this. From a pastoral, missional perspective as a missionary, do you know the number one hindrance? Do people going on the mission field? Family or parents? Guarantee it. And I can give you story after story after story. And you know what I hear all the time? Well, God can use them here just like He can use them there. Well, what's going to happen if they go there? They're not going to be safe. They're going to be put in danger. So here's a good question for you. Is it God's will for us to be safe and to be comfortable and to never be put in danger? Now, guess what? You're going to see that in Acts chapter 16, that that ain't true. Sometimes God's will is hard and it's difficult. And you have to listen to the voice of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 because he sends us out, how? As sheep among wolves. It's not always easy. And so, Paul, this is not just a little ask here. This is a big ask for a mom to let her son go on a missionary journey for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But she says yes. And this is very interesting to me. So look at the very next word there. I'll say it again. So Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. Period. Next sentence. In deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was Greek. Okay, now what did they just have a fight about in Acts chapter 15? This makes no sense to me. I mean, the word deference there, do you know what the word deference means? It means submitting, basically, or humbling yourself. So who is Paul humbling himself to here? The Jews of the area. And he, 
in my mind, I won't, I probably shouldn't say this, but he's kind of caving in, right? And maybe I'm wrong about reading Paul, but this does not seem like Paul's personality to me. Does it to you? I see Paul as stubborn and pig-headed, and I see him as basically doing whatever he believes in spite of what it is in benefit for him. That's just kind of how I see the Apostle Paul. So for me, this just goes out of character altogether for who Paul is. Because now remember, in Acts chapter 15, he's fighting. He's literally fighting so that a young man named Titus doesn't have to be circumcised to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Fighting for him. So what's the difference here in Acts chapter 16? Because this young man, Timothy, he's going to circumcise him and basically give in to what the Judaizers were saying in Acts chapter 15. Now, I don't know exactly. I think I know. But there are two things here, one which I'm, I know for sure. The first one I'm not so sure about, but one thing that is different about Titus and Timothy is Titus was just a Gentile. He was Greek. He had no Jewish blood in him whatsoever. Okay, now we do know that Timothy is what? He's both Jew and Greek, which makes him Jewish. That makes him Jewish, okay? So he is Jewish legally by birth, however you want to say it. But for whatever reason, his dad would never let him follow Judaism. So he was never circumcised. So maybe this is something his mom wanted. Maybe this is something Timothy had wanted. I don't know. But I do know this. I do know for Paul, this is not about caving in. This is not about saying you have to do this to follow Jesus Christ. This is a missional strategy he had. Okay? Now, when I say missional strategy, what I mean is when we send missionaries even today, we follow Paul's advice. Because we have strategy when we go different places, because we do different things in different places that we go. Whether it be a Muslim country, whether it be an Asian country, whether it be a country in South America, we don't do the exact same thing we do here, there. Why? Because it doesn't work. I mean, they have different cultures, they have different languages, they have different everything than us. So we have to have strategies going on the field, like we've been praying for some of our missionaries to have residency in places because the only way they can be there is to have a job or to have residency. That is a strategy. Okay, now we know what Paul's strategy was on his missionary journeys. The first thing he would always do when he would go to a city is what? He would go to the synagogue, and there he would share the gospel in the synagogue because he could go in basically as a Pharisee, and he could go in and he could preach there. He could share there. And so that was his strategy, and that's how he kind of infiltrated the city with the gospel at first. They would always go to the synagogue. Well, now, if Timothy is going on this missionary journey with him, and he is not circumcised, he's not a Jew based on the Abrahamic covenant, can he go into those synagogues and do anything? Mm -mm, he can't. He's basically got to stay outside. So this is a strategy that Paul's using so that Timothy can be beneficial for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And basically later on in the Bible, Paul tells you what this strategy is. And this is what the Bible says. So just listen. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want to, but it's 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 9, this is what Paul says. He says, When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. 
When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law, even though I am not subject to the law. I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of who? Christ. Not Old Testament law, the law of Christ. He's obedient to Jesus. Keep reading, verse 22. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Okay, so what is the Apostle Paul's life about? Sharing the good news and spreading its blessing, its message that Christ Jesus saves. And so basically Paul's saying, I'll do whatever I have to do to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so back in Acts chapter 16, what is he doing? Whatever he has to do to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you ever go on the mission field, you're going to experience this. I've experienced it in a lot of different places. And I have done things that I would never do here in the States that I've done there. And you know what a lot of it has to do with? The food I eat. And I could tell you story after story after story after story. Fred, y'all got any stories? I bet y'all got stories. Let me give you a story. I'll give you a story. Okay, I got a bunch of them. But North Africa, we're in North Africa. And we're out in the middle of the bush, out in the middle of nowhere. And in this particular country, they have a delicacy. Whenever a special guest will come and when they'll come to their home, they always provide this for them. And this is what they do. They take camel's milk. And have you ever had camel's milk? Well, it gets better than that. Okay. So they take camel's milk and they go out in the desert and they bury the camel's milk. And so you can imagine what happens to the camel's milk and the heat and then the hum everything, just the aridness of that desert. But then they bring it out after however long it's been setting out in the desert and they pour it in a glass for you and set it in front of you and you're sitting around this table and they offer it to you. So what do you have to do? You better drink it because it'll be highly offensive to them if you don't drink it. And then what would that do for my opportunity to share Jesus with them? I mean, it's gone, right? I am never going to be able to share the gospel with them. And so if you ever want a joy in life, try to get fermented camel's milk even to your mouth. <laughs> because if you have a gag reflex, the smell is so bad that it is hard to get it to your mouth. I'm telling you, it's hard. And so I've done things like that all over the world that I would never do. If you, I'm telling you, if I come to your house and you give me fermented camel's milk, I'm going to say, no, thank you. <laughs> Really quick, really quick. But I did not do that there. Why? Because they're lost. They've never heard the gospel. They don't even know who Jesus is. And they invited us into their home, into their home, and gave us the best they had. Now, I didn't like it, but I did it. And why would I do it? Because of exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9. You do what you have to do for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? 
because that's God's will. Is it not? Yeah, that's God's will. That's his will. Okay, so if you've ever struggled for God's will in your life, that's God's will. I guarantee it. That's his will for your life because that's what the Bible says. Okay, so that's his will for your life. Okay, so that's why they did what they did here. Now, it's a lot more unfortunate for Timothy than Paul, but he did it. Okay, keep reading. Verse 4, then they went from town to town instructing who? Believers. Okay, this is important. They went from town to town instructing believers what? To follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. What is that? Okay, remember the letter that came back to the church of Antioch that James penned that told them about the decision? You follow Jesus. This is what you do. You follow Jesus, and he alone saves. And then there were some other instructions in there. And so what Paul and Silas and Timothy now are doing is going back to the churches that they won people to Christ, and they're giving them the Word of God. This is the first epistle. This is the first part of the Bible. Now, I know we don't see it as a Bible because it's not the letter to Antioch in our Bible, but it's basically what it is there in Acts chapter 15, right? It's the first epistle. This is how Paul gets the idea of sending epistles back to the church of Ephesus and Philippi and different places. And so that's what they're doing. They're giving them the Word of God. And the way they would give them the Word of God is the same way we would do it today. They would stand up, they would read it, and they would talk about it. What do you think preaching is every Sunday morning? What do you think what we're doing right now is? It's what they were doing in Acts chapter 16. They were discipling believers. That's what they're doing. They're discipling believers. And what happens when you disciple believers? Well, this is what should happen. Verse 5, So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger by the day. Every day, more people were coming to faith in Christ, and the faith of the church was being strengthened. Why? Because they were doing what God said to do. Right? Yes, that's what they were doing. And this is what should happen in every church on the face of the earth. How do I know? Because it's God's will. It's God's will. Now, this is important. Do you know where this is not happening today in the world? There's only two continents on this earth where the gospel of Jesus Christ is not growing rapidly. Rapidly. More people are coming to faith in Christ right now than any time in the history of the world. More people every day. There are only two places on this earth this is not happening. Europe and America. That's it. Everywhere else. Verse 5 is reality. Verse 5 is reality for every church. So why is it not happening here if this is God's will? Here's the question. Why is it not happening? I'm asking. Because we're not in God's will, right? I mean, it's that's not a trick question. If we were in God's will, what would the result be? I'm telling you, the verse 5 would be the result. We would be strengthened in our faith, and we would be growing day by day by day by day. People would be coming to faith in Jesus Christ all over us. Is that what happened in the book of Acts? Yeah. Started in Acts chapter 2, right? Thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ. It continued. We're reading about Acts chapter 16. The exact same thing is happening because it's the will of God. Okay. Here's a great question. 
Is the will of God always accomplished on this earth? How does God work on this earth? Through believers, right? We've seen that in the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas. They said it over and over again. If God's will is accomplished through His people and His people don't do what He says, is God's will always accomplished on this earth? No. Now that's a hard one to wrestle with, right? Because we know this about God. God's sovereign, right? God's providential, meaning He even sees before it happens. God is God. So why did God choose to work the way He works on this earth? I don't know that we'll ever figure that one out. Maybe we can ask Him that question one day. But this is what God chose, right? And did He give us an example to follow? Yeah, He gave us Jesus, right? And so what did Jesus do when He came to this earth? He became what? He became flesh, right? Okay, so God became flesh and dwelt among us. He dwelt with us. Okay, in that flesh, when Jesus Christ walked on this earth, was He God? Yes. Was He man? Yes. I don't know how that's possible. That's possible because He's God, okay? But this flesh did some things to Jesus. Did it give him the opportunity to sin if he had have chosen to sin? Yeah, the Bible says that, okay? He could have sinned. He didn't sin, but he could have, right? Okay? Did it limit who he was as God from a power perspective? Yeah, it did. Because how did Jesus operate on this earth? And how did he do everything he did on this earth? He always did the will of the Father. Always, he says that. And everything he did was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and he gave us an example to follow. He says that in John chapter 13. Okay, so if we follow that example, everything we do is the will of the Father, and everything we do is in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what Jesus says? You do the same things I do. And even greater things, because I'm going to be with the Father. I've left you here to do greater things than I did on this earth. John 14, he says it, John 14, 12. Does that not boggle your mind? But what's the key? The will of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what is obvious for the church in America, what are we not doing? We're not living in the power of the Holy Spirit are always doing the will of the Father. Because would the result be what it is today if we were? No. It wasn't. So this is important. <laughs> because we're always called to do the will of the Father. So here's a great question as we keep reading. What is the will of God? Because Paul and Silas and Timothy struggle with that right here. Look at what it says. It says, next, Paul and Silas traveled through the area of Phrygia and Galatia. Okay, now, important there, what it's talking about when it starts out there in verse 8, when it says next, 
or verse 6, and when it says next, basically this is kind of a transition. What had they been doing before? They had been going to the churches that they had won believers, and they're discipling them. That's what they had been doing, right? We just read about it. Okay, next, now what are they going to do? They're going to go new places and share the gospel. Okay, so this is kind of what we would see missionally anyway, right? They're going somewhere the gospel's never been shared, and they're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But they're still in Galatia. Why? Well, this is what it says, verse 6, because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. So who stopped them from taking the gospel to a new area and sharing that Jesus Christ saves? Who stopped them? Specifically, the Holy Spirit of God stopped them from doing that. Now, how did the Holy Spirit of God do this? Did he physically say, nope, you ain't going no further. I'm going to stand here and not let you go. Did he do that? Did he throw up roadblocks? What did he do? How did he stop them from going to share the gospel in the area, basically Asia Minor, where they were trying to go? Okay, well, I think it's the same thing he does today. So let's keep reading. Then, coming to the borders of Messiah, they headed north to the province of Bithynia. But again, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. Okay, now the Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, exact same thing. How do we know? Well, who sent the Holy Spirit to us? Jesus did. He specifically said that. When I send the Holy Spirit. Okay, he talks about that at the end of John. So it's the same thing, so don't get caught up in that. It's just a different way of talking about the Holy Spirit. But again, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. So if you really want to know what's happening, this is what's happening. Now this is kind of the stubbornness or pig-headedness of Paul, but you're the exact same way. Okay, so Paul thinks in his heart that they're supposed to go to Asia Minor, which this is, when you see Asia there, this is not like Southeast Asia, China, that area. This would be Asia Minor, so this is basically Turkey. And he's going to Turkey, and then he's going to kind of go towards India. That's where he's wanting to go. And so he believes that's where he should take the gospel. And so what happens is he starts out there, and the Holy Spirit says, no, don't go there. So do you know what Paul does? He just takes the long way around, and he just says, well, I'm going to get there. I'm just going to go a different direction than the Holy Spirit told me. Have you ever did that in your life? Of course you have. You want what you want in your heart, even if God says, that's not the way I want you to go. And what do you do? You try to make a way to get it, right? Of course we do. Do we not do that all the time? Of course we do. And that's what Paul's doing. He's just, okay, you stop me here. Well, let me just kind of backtrack and go around you, Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing. And what happens the second time? No. No. And so he stops him again. And this is what happens next. Verse 8 there. So instead, they went through Messiah to the seaport of Troas. This is what happens there. Verse 9. That night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading, look at that word, pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Okay, so what was God's will for the gospel at this time in history. 
was God's will for it to go to Turkey and Asia Minor and India and eventually to what we would consider Asia today? Was that God's will at this point? No. What was God's will for it to basically go the other direction? I mean, this is kind of like Jonah, okay? He's saying one thing, we want something else. But who wins? God. And so God says, no, the gospel's going towards Europe. And so Greece, of course, is European soil. And aren't you thankful the gospel went to Europe? Because you're here today because of that. And we're in a church today because of that. Now, do I understand why God did that? I don't know. But this was His plan. This was His will. And eventually, Paul figured out, I better do what God says. And he did it. And God showed him through a vision. Now, is this the first time God has spoken in a vision? Nope. Did it earlier in Acts. Acts 10, you can read about what happened there. But God speaks through visions. God speaks through dreams. The Bible says He's going to do it in the last days. He's always done it. In the Muslim world, He does it all the time. He leads people towards Christ through visions and dreams, especially during Ramadan and times like that. He does it all the time. And that's what He did for the Apostle Paul here. He led him to what his will was. Okay, so just time I have left, just real quick. Have you ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? We all have, right? Everybody's asked that question. Is that an important question? It is an important question because the decisions you make alter your life and can alter it dramatically. Who you marry where you go to school, the job you take, on and on and on, right? Decisions matter. So what is God's will for my life? That is not the right question. Because with that question, who is the focus on? My, right? Me, my. Okay, the question we should be asking is what is God's will? Period, end of sentence. And when we ask that question... And when we walk according to what the Scripture says for us and how to walk, what happens? Well, this is what happens. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Here's another way to say it. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. Now, that's important. Whose steps does He direct? Not everybody's. The godly. Now, who are the godly? Those who are doing what He says. Okay, so what does He tell us to do? What does Jesus tell us to do? We should walk in holiness. We should flee from sin. We should read this word and be consumed by it and with it. We should pray, right? Pretty important. Okay, so if we are walking with God, are we going to be godly? Yes. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their life. Think about that. He delights in it. When you are walking in godliness and holiness, He delights in every detail of your life. Even though you stumble, you will never fall. Why? For the Lord holds them by His hand. Now, how does He do this for us? Well, it's very specific, 
And he even did it for Jesus. Do you know what the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 4 did for Jesus Christ? Right after he was baptized, right after the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell on him like a dove and rested on him. Do you know the first thing he did for him? He led him. And where did he lead him? Into the wilderness, into the desert. And he was there 40 days, 40 nights. He fasted and he was tempted by Satan. And do you know what the idea there in the Greek New Testament where it talks about leading? Do you know what the idea is and the imagery there is in Greek? The Holy Spirit of God taking Jesus by the hand and walking him in the desert. That's the image in the Greek New Testament. And so what does he do for you and me, those who are walking towards Christ in holiness, following him? The Holy Spirit of God takes us by the hand and he leads us. And when we live that way every day of our life, what is the promise of Scripture? He's directing our path. Every step we take... He is in charge of, and He delights in it. He delights in it. The problem for most of us is what do we do? We're pretty much like the Apostle Paul, and I don't like that path, so I'm going to go backtrack and then find me another path and get around to where I want to go. Is that not what we do? Of course that's what we do. But when we're walking with God, we don't have to do anything. We don't even have to wonder what God's will is for our life because He's leading every step and He's lighting the way the whole stinking time. But that ain't the way we live our life, is it? Now, how do we normally live our life? We start worrying about those decisions we're going to make. Well, I dog to you, that ain't God's will for your life. How do I know? The Bible says not to. It says worry about what? Just a few small things about who you're going to marry, what job you're going to have. Does the Bible say that? It says worry about... Nothing, but you're to do something else. Pray about everything. And then what happens? Well, the peace of God happens. And you will experience something that I can't describe with words. That's what Paul says. Now, how did Paul figure that out? The hard way is how he figured it out. Because he tried to do it without God, just like you and I do. But when we walk with God, and when we just simply do what He says, we don't have to search for the path because it's right before us every step of the way because He guides us and He leads us because that's the promise of Scripture. I don't know how many of you have ever taken experiencing God, but basically this is the principle of experiencing God. And this is kind of, honestly, the way I try to lead the church. And just one of the core foundations of experiencing God is you don't have to figure out something to do. You don't have to figure out ministry. All you have to do is find what God is doing and jump in with Him. Where God is working, that's where you work. And that's what Paul did. Had God gone before him to Macedonia, to Greece... Yeah, and you're going to see that next week. And God called him there for a specific reason. And God used him there in an incredible way. And the same will be true for you and me if we will just walk with him and he takes care of the rest. Because that's what the Bible says. That's what it says. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you.